Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About The Weather, political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk about news and politics. Yeah. Samurai yeah. Showdown. And Samurai Showdown. It's good. Hugh's journey to the east continues. <laughs> so, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I've been playing a lot of games. <laughs> and yeah, just a first bit of order of business, there will be no pod next week. Um, there We could say it's because Adam's moving, it's mainly because Shadowbringers comes out on Friday. <laughs> oh, the Final Fantasy expansion, yeah. 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 Get to be a big dancing cat. <laughs> How is that different from normal? <laughs> this, um, supposed to, this is supposed to be like, you know, online fantasy. My, it's supposed to be like Existence. My main Matrix. Final Fantasy buddy thinks it's the first step on the trail to me becoming a furry. <laughs> but we'll see. That is how they started. Uh, it's alright now. It's okay. The stigma of years and years ago, by which I mean 2008, <laughs> uh, has faded. God, could you imagine being out in this weather in a fursuit? Is that... Is that how they live their lives? Like wearing it all no, the time? Or no, is it they, just on specific convention occasions? I don't think they do it all the time. But it's just like the idea, like, it would. If it was a thing that I like to do, being in fursuits, then yeah. summer would be like a horrible type of time of the year. <laughs> I just don't. Uh, uh. It was torn between sweat and horny. Yeah. But then you're torn between that anyway. So. I am most of the time, so, yeah. 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 So, yeah, this yeah. week. What's um, been going on this week? Oh, Christ. So, uh, the fallout of the rest of the Tory leadership. We're down to two, Jeremy mm-hmm. Hunt and mm-hmm. Boris Johnson. Uh, nothing else is happening. Time is ticking away. And so with it, our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Boris, so since the last pod, <sighs> Boris, his neighbours recorded him having an argument with his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, he sounded, well, all the reports are that he was aggressive. Because um, what seems to have happened is Boris went out Class War had put Class War stickers all over the front door of his girlfriend's flat. He had left her to deal with it, then came home drunk. They had a massive fight because he was drunkenly spilling wine everywhere. He smashed things, he screamed, he shouted, she screamed, she shouted. Um, the neighbours recorded this, but the neighbours, before calling the police on their abusive, on their what sounded like domestic violence, hmm. they should have checked the politics of the person there because apparently you are not allowed to report someone of a different political spectrum. Yeah, it's a, it's it's unfair. It's it's anti Brexit. I mean, we're all committed to making Brexit a success, <laughs> and if you do things like interrupt people in potentially violent circumstances, well, then what are you supposed to do? This is... in my experience, when a woman screams, "Get off me." She feels safe. <laughs> Did you see the... I, I saw some of the transcript of, of what went on, and um, it was her... Hasn't he put it under, like, he's put an injunction on it? Um, it was reported in The Guardian, I think, the oh, day, prob- the day like off. The Maybe they snuck it out beforehand. But um, it was something like, you don't know the value of money, you're so spoiled, you just don't know the value of anything and you don't care. And it's like, for those people who've been following Boris Johnson for all those years, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. No, of course, you would just literally say the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet, like, <laughs> yeah. straight away. There's so many instances of that mm. this week as well. I did. I really liked all the people defending him, specifically. That, that was the latest round in the great reality collapse that is 2000, let's say, <laughs> 16 to 19. I think my favourite one was Harry Cole defending... It's like... The the article should have been called "In Defense of My Wife's Boyfriend," <laughs> because that's literally what the situation is. But he wrote yeah. an article defending him, and it's like, 
Does he have any self-respect? No, he doesn't. No, it's because they've got they've got the orders now. It's yeah. it's going to be Boris, and whether you support his politics or not, mm. he's going to be Tory prime minister. Mm-hmm. And the job now, if you're on board and not a rube, is to defend the Tory party and prevent it from disintegrating. If you're a rube, the uh, the policy is to actively signal that you're an open-minded person and not opposed to the working class in this country who all voted Brexit. All of them did. And all do domestic violence all the time. Yep. The job is to make sure that you don't seem too much of an elitist. Mm. And so that's why you get these weird situations where everybody gathers round Boris Johnson and tries to defend him when... There's no reason. Yeah. There's um, no reason why why this couldn't have been addressed like just by them. It's quite what I say weird. Boris has never been good at answering questions like like for people who no. don't aren't from London. Like all the time he was mayor whenever he was doing his mayor's question times, he'd never answer straight questions no. ever. He would always guffaw and burble and he's just getting more like that now and it's weird, like, I watched the LBC one this morning, and Nick Ferrari is really right-wing. Yeah. And to, like, give you an idea of how much Nick Ferrari liked Boris, mm. Nick Ferrari did incur a massive fine for LBC for trying to get people to vote for Boris on election day when he was running for mayor. Yeah. But yeah, he's did. the one who was asking the same question over and over again today, because Boris just flat-out refused to answer the question about whether he knew that that photo... Existed. Yeah, the so so of... after after the um after all the the kind of news headlines, there was a photo taken of him and Carrie Simons, mm-hmm. uh, his his girlfriend, in a garden, like looking united. Their backs to the camera, but they're looking her, like united. Her fronts to the camera, his backs to the camera, and it is quite clearly Ed Sheeran. Yeah, I just think it's disgraceful that their privacy should be invaded in this way. <laughs> it's really terrible. No, I mean, it is. Know, it's disgusting. It's... Can't can't a man <laughs> hang out with his current mistress <laughs> in peace and quiet? Um, but it's it's weird because there's a lot of attacking him on his character, which is shockingly bad. He's a bad person yeah. in every shape, in every possible way. But there's like it's weird the people attacking him and the people defending him. Because I didn't think that there'd be so much... There's weird... Like, I I did say that, like, Remainers, what they're going to end up doing, like, the Lib Demi side, are going to end up voting for a no deal to stop Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. And Majid Nawaz was defending Boris Johnson. Yeah, I did see that. That was... Yeah. <laughs> but they're not even defending Boris Johnson. The attack line that most of them were going for was... It was terrible and politically motivated. Woke Stasi was being used a lot. But like the idea that not only um, was hearing shouting from your next door neighbours and intervening, not only was that like horrible intervention, Mm -hmm. but at the same time that their political stance meant that it was therefore politically motivated and the worst thing in the world. Like the idea that... Brexit is supposed to be dividing the country and everyone's supposed to be on opposite sides and everyone's, if angrier, but maybe more politically engaged. Mm. And yet, the worst thing you can be called is politically motivated. Yeah. Oh, this is this is all political. Well, no, it's, it's only... It's like the Remainer side, the left side, 
because it's not a left right issue mm-hmm. but you know in general like but they they treat them the same like the remainers remainers and left wingers are politically mm-hmm. motivated right wingers and brexiteers are like they're just sensible it's like which we've had for years like as left wingers we've been told for years and years and years that we're like weird politically motivated monsters mm-hmm. while everyone else is sensible and just doing the normal stuff oh well they you see they're they're savvy one side is savvy mm-hmm. the other side is ideological yeah yeah, which tells you about the fact that most people are operating under some kind of ideology. Yeah, you know that was always the insult. Mm. Um, um, which kind of leads us into what we wanted to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very low energy at the moment. We've mm-hmm. got a lot on, so this may seem like low hanging fruit. But Boris Johnson. Yes. What does he mean? <laughs> what is he? Who is he? Most of the time. Yeah. Where do you find him? Or in his mistress's house, or in garden centres. <laughs> apparently, it doesn't seem like a person who would find you. No. I don't. I don't. You know, like the kind of thing. Boris where never you would finds go, you at a party. Yeah, well, actually, I imagine he probably does if you're a young waitress. I don't. <laughs> um, allegedly, he's <laughs> he's the most like swimming in other circles politician. Yeah, I've maybe seen for a while. You can imagine, like, if you went to uh, where's that uh, village where they all live, um, Rebecca. Oh. Whit- not Whitby. It's not Whitney. Whitby. It's um no 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 because he, he's MP for Whitney, uh, Chipping Norton. That's the one. That's the one. Jeremy Clarkson, uh, yeah. David Cameron. You know, if you went to Chipping Norton, yeah. I imagine you'd find him and his doings. Mm-hmm. With Boris, you're never quite sure. Yeah. Rootless cosmopolitan is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like, well, he's hanging around outside garden centres, picking up crates to turn into buses. Oh God, yeah. Okay, before we start, let's um let's get into that. That's just happened. Um, so there was an interview with him, a very, very, very soft question of, what do you do to relax? He is quiet for a moment. Boris is quiet for mm. a moment. He's kind of sitting at an angle with his tie all mad mm-hmm. in a way that can only have been sculpted. <laughs> you know how Michelangelo said the sculpture is inside the suit, I just chip yeah. off, chip yeah. it off, yeah. Um, and he says, I make things. Yeah. Which... That sounds like a lie. Then yeah. he presumed. Then he continued on. See, I assumed he was going to go straight into like he's got a massive, and I mean massive, Warhammer forty k squat army conversion. <laughs> <laughs> then he would have got all my votes. <laughs> he's been working for years on this thing. He's such a revanchist. Squats were <laughs> squats were uh, discontinued and record years ago. <laughs> Not in my heart. <laughs> Anyway, um, so he says he makes. So he things. says he makes things, and then he said, "Oh, the the interviewer says, what do you make?'" And he's like, "I, uh, I make buses, model buses. How do you make them, Boris? I make so I get um, crates, cr- wood, wood, and and like." If you're, you don't it's even have to be that cynical. You just have to have ha- have to have watched a lot of these weird interviews yeah. with politicians, who Boris, for all of the amount that he is incredibly lazy about stuff that actually matters, has a laser focus when it comes to his own career, mm. uh, making money, and his his political position generally. Mm. You know what he does? He sits at home. He reads the papers. He reads um, books about himself, or about Churchill. other people. Or Churchill, mm. he reads a load of stuff of that and turns it up and works out how to spew it out into his own image, mm-hmm. right? That's not at all surprising. But talking, he thinks, and this is just a guess, but I think I'm right. His guess 
is that he can't say he sits at home and reads books, mm. right? And he has a study, or, you know, he writes things, things mm. like that, because it makes him sound like media elite. Mm. He can't say he prepares for politics, it makes him sound like an obsessive. Mm-hmm. He can't say that he uh, sits down and watches um, Coronation Street or whatever mm. with a glass of wine, because as opposed to Cameron, who that makes him sound relatable, with Boris it makes him sound like more of a slob than mm. he already seems. Yeah. He already seems like a lazy cunt. Yeah. Um, Cameron needed to need, needed to dispel the notion of him as like a PR man yeah. or a, a rigid uptight guy. Yeah. Same with Blair, same yeah. with Gordon Brown. They all had to do that. Boris has to do the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So somewhere in between there, he's got the kind of myth of the entrepreneur in the garage. Like Thatcher used that uh, mm-hmm. that, that yeah. like imagery quite a lot of the inventor in the garage hammering yeah. away. But he's also got a show like a creative side. He's also got. Also, some of this had to have just come from the last thing he saw. Yeah. So, yeah, he makes folk art. I imagine it's beautiful folk art. <laughs> I actually do a lot of, lot of like, like uh, lawn cows, like but grass just, cows. I really don't, You can guarantee that when grass. Theresa May did that thing of, like, um, what's the, the naughtiest thing you did in, you know, the ah, fields of work. perfect. Um, was he, 100% true. Yeah. That's I bet the, he laughed about how stupid she was and how it was, like, it showed how pathetic she is and how she shouldn't be prime minister then he has the same kind of thing happen to him yeah and he just freezes and starts talking about the weird things he makes yeah the stuff like he oh figures you could guarantee that if he had somewhere where he would make things yeah. it would be real creepy looking yeah what's he building in there? what's he building in there? there's formaldehyde wood. under the sink of course oh no there's point sorry I got the no, no, I got it's lyric right. under the sink, of it, course. No, it's there's enough. poison under the sink, of course, oh, yeah, and enough formaldehyde to choke a horse. Yeah, I was Tom, trying to think of something that he'd have, but no, it's just it's just all it's all brasso for his he, um, he for would... his busts of Churchill. <laughs> That's mainly what he spends his time on, giving them all a good shot. I imagine he spends his time on books. Yeah. I totally do. Yeah. And for any person, that's 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 normal. But he is mm. a Tory PM mm. in waiting, mm. coming into a country that he has been convinced by either himself or his, uh, his, 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 yeah, the Linton Crosbys of this world. That he no, needs, he is. He has yeah, yeah. He, or that he needs to be an action man. Mm. That he like a man of model action. A man of model action, as you know, the bravest people in our country, mm. not the people who are making, uh, you know, soldiers, firefighters, <laughs> uh, anything else. It's uh, it's people who are making models. To be fair, um, whenever like when you lived in Nottingham and we'd go to Warhammer World, <laughs> yeah. those are some of the bravest men I've ever seen. Thank you for your service, as I <laughs> salute a giant space marine statue. <laughs> I salute all the golden demon winners. <laughs> But yeah, so Boris. Yeah. Uh, Boris Johnson, or to give him his full name, Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson, a yeah. man known only by his first name. That isn't his first name. <laughs> yep. Ooh. Oh, that was horrible. I went, oh, have I got news for you there? Fuck. Oh, I've got to nip that in the bud. You've got yeah. to tell me when I do that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> born in New York to wealthy upper middle class English parents. No shit. Uh, with joint US-British citizenship. Uh, his father is Stanley Johnson, who was studying economics at Columbia University at the time, and Charlotte Fawcett, a portrait artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, his paternal grandfather was Ali Kamal, one of the last interior ministers of the Ottoman Empire, a liberal who was assassinated by Turkish nationalists in 1922. Mm-hmm. He describes himself as a one-man melting pot due to this background that he has. It's like he creamed off all the richest 
Pete, like Ali Kamal is probably the closest thing to, in European, like, like racist European society yeah. that you could say was like an outsider, and uh, he was interior minister of the <laughs> Ottoman Empire. Um, yeah. But there, it's all like Swiss, like part Swiss, part uh, part <laughs> English, part American. It's all that kind of stuff. This dude is like his. Um... 23 of me and it's like it says all these countries but really it just it just boils down to 100% white still <laughs> yeah I don't understand the more Turkish DNA I add the whiter it gets <laughs> how, dare, how dare you tell me I'm not mixed race I have French and Swiss <laughs> I know Ali, Ali Kamal was supposed to be Circassian it's just more white <laughs> um, Johnson according to one biography Johnson's earliest recorded ambition was to be quote world king <laughs> When did he have this ambition? He was 25. <laughs> 25 years old he was, yeah. Um, he, after, uh, after living in New York for the early part of his life, uh, he moved with his family to Oxford, then to Exmoor, made a veil, and then to Brussels, when Stanley Johnson worked for the European Commission. Uh, he moved a total of 32 times in his first 14 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, his parents divorced in 1970. I moved a lot too when I was younger, but for very different reasons. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, your dad was EU president. Yeah, he was. European Commission president. Yeah, he definitely was. Uh, his parents divorced in 1978 when Boris was 14, and then he moved in to live with his mother and siblings in Notting Hill. He went to Eton, where he started using his middle name, Boris, rather than Alex. He read classics at Balliol College, where he was that's, elected... That's so, like, Alex isn't posh enough for Eton. Yeah, well, apparently... Well, it's not odd enough. It's it was not his enough. finishing school in Eton was apparently where he started to get his um like he started to work on his charisma and his separate persona which yeah. i imagine if you go to eton you probably have to yeah um yeah he read uh, read classics at balliol college where he was elected president of the oxford union in 1986 he originally started at a, ma- uh, a management consultancy uh but lasted a week before handing in his notice and used his family connections to begin a career in journalism at the Times. Uh, he was sacked from the Times for falsifying a quotation. So it was an article on the archaeological discovery of Edward II's palace, um, and Johnson invented a quote, Edward II and Piers Gaveston would have been cavorting together at the Rose Palace talking about this mm-hmm. archaeological discovery. Uh, the editor found out and promptly sacked him, yep. uh, especially when it turned out that the person he, uh, the person's quote who he falsified was historian Colin Lucas, his own godfather. Yep, I which knew that, is sorry. pretty great. Um, he went from there to the Daily Telegraph and became their Brussels correspondent in 1989. This was where he cemented his Eurosceptic credentials. It's where he invented bananas. The banana it, stories. It is, like yeah. He's he's large. I mean, I don't. I was trying to work this out when I was doing research for this. Um, obviously, he's not the inventor of Euro myths. No. Um, but he was certainly a popularizer, and mm. the Telegraph was probably the worst offender at the time mm. for bringing like having new stories as opposed to reha- rehashed stories. Or well, I suppose they're fake, so it doesn't actually matter. You know, like Stanford um, didn't invent the car. Yeah. <laughs> um. He had headlines such as Threat to British Pink Sausages, Snails Are Fish, Says EU, and went on and on about the EU banning prawn cocktail crisps. Uh, in his own words... I just love the snails. I just like... I love the idea of that meeting. Like, yeah. if that existed, like, this meeting just looks like, snails, okay, which pile do we put them in? Well, obviously, in the fish pile, like the French. No, but then the fishing quotas will take my snails. <laughs> 
It's an insect. It's a legume. <laughs> it's such a... Because like, like so many of the Euro myths, they're such obvious bollocks. <laughs> well, no, the secret is with most of those Euro Oh, yeah, there's a little bit of... Is that the kernel, the kernel of truth... Yeah. Is that they were in the middle of being reclassified? So apparently, that prawn cocktail story, uh, the the story about the EU banning prawn cocktail crisps, was the EU wanted a list of crisp flavors that were readily available in the UK. Yeah. Somebody in the UK left prawn cocktail off, uh, so it was delayed. Yeah. It wasn't a banning; it just wasn't a recognizing yeah. under harmonizations, which seems so long ago now yeah. when people it's, were going on about harmonization. It's like um, the thing with bananas, because all bananas, well, most the banana that we normally have is like they're all clones of one plant. Yes. So they they're are, all yeah. kind of the same. So if they are changing, that's kind of an issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's because you know there's people got the banana measures. But it's fine. It, it, it the fact that people so readily take it up suggests something else is going on under the surface mm-hmm. as regards people's feelings about their place in the world. Yes. Yeah. It's explicable. It's it's worth not just dismissing it, mm-hmm. but it is worth like reiterating to people to stop like doing that stuff. Yeah. Boris was not interested in not reiterating and what's more he was very much engaged with the fakeness of it. I've got yeah. um a, a quote here about his time as Brussels Telegraph correspondent. Some of my most joyous hours have been spent in a state of semi-incoherence, composing foam-flecked hymns of hate to the latest Euro infamy, the ban on the prawn cocktail flavour crisp, the billions spent to export unsmokable Greek tobacco to the third world, the European Commission's plot to scrap our double-decker buses, the tense international row over the dimensions of the Euro condom, the vicious and unprincipled dumping of French beef in the Sahel region of Africa. He explained it thus... I saw the whole European Union change. It was a wonderful time to be there. The Berlin Wall fell and the French and Germans had to decide how they were going to respond to this event and what Europe was going to become. And there was this fantastic pressure to create a single polity and this produced the most fantastic strains in the Conservative Party. So everything I wrote from Brussels, I found, was sort of chucking these rocks over the garden wall and listening to this amazing crash from the greenhouse next door. Everything I wrote from Brussels was having this amazing, explosive effect on the Tory party, and it really gave me this, I suppose, rather weird sense of power. So, like, he, like, after, this is a pattern with Boris that when he knows that he's doing something, he reflects back on it and goes, oh, the things we have to do. It's mm. the, you always have to work at a right-wing paper to start off. It's yeah. like, oh, I was, I was only doing it for a laugh. I was only doing it for my career. You all do it. You're all as compromised as me in yeah. every way. Try and prove me wrong. That kind of shit. Yeah. Um, but and then he, but with Boris, he has absolutely no qualms about going back to it. Yeah. So on the like the EU referendum uh, tour, mm. when he went to he went to Stafford and said that again, it was absurd that you were told that you cannot sell bananas in bunches of more than two or three. That's not true. <laughs> no, it was never true. He just went back straight to it. Yeah, and I presume people people lapped it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he moved from the Brussels desk within the Telegraph to become the assistant editor uh, from 1994 to 1999. In 1996, while a journalist for the Telegraph, he went to the Labour conference and wrote a piece reviewing the quality of the hot totty who were present. Quote, the unanimous opinion is that what has been called the totty meter reading is higher than at any Labour Party conference in living memory. Time and again, the totty meter has gone off as a young woman delegate mounts the rostrum. Uh, he attempted to explain the trend of women shifting their allegiances to the Labour Party. 
uh, he suggested that it is either due to the party's planned erosion of male liberty, such as ending the right to drink in public places, or alternatively, because, Labour's, because of Labour's most bizarre promise, that women will be more promiscuous if Mr Blair comes to power. What? I don't remember that. He said, The real reason why Blackpool is buzzing with glamorous women is surely that they sent victory. It is not the great smell of brute that makes John Prescott attractive. It is the whiff of power. With the fickleness of their sex, they are following the polls. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, he's so lovely. Um, to be fair, not drinking in public is a disgusting war on being a man. There's no way that that doesn't affect women equally. <laughs> I have never seen a woman drink in public. There has definitely not been public news stories in the papers about women drinking in public <laughs> in recent memory. Every year. Every summer, you might say. Yeah. Um, oh, he's just... Oh, he's such a shit. Yeah, but that's so... It's so creepy. It's nice because you get... Like, it's not often you get... Well, you do. Like, we get to have, like... You find out... You can tell exactly the kind of man he is yeah. from that kind of... From just every word in that. That's also very late major years. Mm-hmm. The the use of the word totty mm. to like uh, distance, like almost like h- use humour to distance himself from actually saying, "Ah, oh, yes, I would. I just desperately need to fuck." Yeah. <laughs> At all possible times, I am thinking about women. Yeah. And. It's a very that's a very like corrupt Tory politician in the late major years yeah. kind of thing. They're all they're all completely out of touch. It's just and, Benny Hill in their mind all the time. Yeah, preserved in their own juices. Yeah, like propped up. It's fucking gross. Uh, at the same time, uh, yeah, in an article complaining about the reaction to Diana's death, Boris lamented that we live in an age where feminism is a fact, where giving vent to emotion in public wins votes. The princess is a symbol for every woman who ever felt wronged by a man. <laughs> Doesn't mention that that man was Prince Philip. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But again, it's like, it's that distance. It's like, he doesn't really know women. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really regard them as like equal partners. Oh no. But then he doesn't regard most people as no, equal partners in what thing. he's doing. He's talking to a, a, a small amount of people. I was talking about Boris actually the other day to someone hmm. and uh, like kind of liberal liberal guy and he was saying that Boris is definitely the guy who's telling the joke in the rugby club the off-colour joke hmm. um, and no one objects because they want to have a go at political correctness and I was like I think maybe that's partially true but I feel like Boris is also the kind of person who tells like some really off-colour story that he thinks is so fucking funny that even like rugby club or cricket club bores don't find funny like, maybe not for political correctness reasons, but it's just, like, a gross story. Yeah. Like a, an American psycho, like yeah. Patrick Bateman-style story <laughs> that he finds incredibly yeah. funny, that he laughs, he can't complete the story. Yeah. He finds it so funny, but that no other human being finds there was funny. a thing I saw on Twitter, someone who was, work, who was, like, waiting at one of those mansion house dinners and heard him making jokes about peasants. Yeah, that of kind course, of, thing. of course, but like, there's there's no question that he yeah. uses proles, peasants. Oh yeah, um, every other kind of like like insult. Uh, he doesn't even regard that as political, like having a go at political correctness. No. He regards that as that is a natural thing that you yeah. would call it because everyone I'm around agrees with me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, in a uh, continuing on the in his battles against New Labour, 
1998 Telegraph column about Peter Mandelson's resignation from the Labour government, Johnson said the announcement would lead to the blubbing of <clears throat> tank-topped bum boys in the Ministry of Sound nightclub and the soft-lit Soho drinking clubs frequented, frequented by Mandy and his pals. He added that Mandelson's departure would cause the lipstick to come away from Blair's government. 1998. Yeah, that was a very common attack line of, I'm, I'm not sure when Peter Mandelson came out, mm. but the homophobic uh, undertones and overtones yeah. of attacking New Labour was, it was very, very prominent. And yeah. now you can still see it because people like Old Holborn, yeah. those kind of far-right commentators still use it because they picked it up when it was like just acceptable. Yeah, Kind of pretty acceptable to just say that. Yeah, um, it's like it says a lot about "Have I Got News for You?" How horrible he was for how long before they even put him on there. They put him on the first time he appeared on "Have I Got News for You" was nineteen ninety eight, the same year mm. that article was written. <laughs> Interesting, yep. weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's not just Rob Burley that likes to put fascists on <laughs> the BBC. Um, there was his uh, his famous moment with uh, an, uh, an old school friend yeah. called Darius Guppy. That's a great name. Yeah, Darius Guppy, Darius Guppy. Okay, what I'm gonna go with Darius. Darius, I like Darius. Darius Guppy. That's not a name. Sounds cool. Darius um, is a name though. It's the name of a Persian emperor. Yeah, Darius, not Darius. While he was undertaking this journalism career, he'd obviously kept in touch with all of his old kind of Eaton friends. Mm -hmm. One of those Eaton friends was a man called uh, Darius Guppy. Mm -hmm. um, he achieved notoriety in 1993 when he was jailed for an insurance fraud committed several years earlier, which came close to being a perfect crime. Mm -hmm. He and an associate paid someone to tie them up and, and fake a robbery in New York so that he could claim £1.8 million pounds in insurance which was revenge upon Lloyd's of London the insurance firm which had ruined his father during a financial scandal in the late 80s that's amazing that's like Count of be Monte Cristo-esque be more upper class bag. it's so like, like I need to get revenge on the man who ruined my father's life oh who is it was it like this guy at the betting shop it's like Lloyd's of London <laughs> my family enemies I heard you've been talking shit about my dad my dad could beat up your brokerage <laughs> Um, uh, but before he'd actually been convicted of this crime uh, mm -hmm. Guppy feared that his activities were going to be exposed when a News of the World journalist started sniffing around mm -hmm. his, uh, his affairs um, he was recorded telling Boris Johnson that as a fellow journalist he wanted to, him to give him the guy's address Guppy reassured Boris that uh, the journalist wouldn't be hurt he said he will not have a broken limb or a broken arm and he will not he will not be put into intensive care or anything like that. He will probably get a couple of black eyes and a cracked rib or something like that. Um, Boris then revealed on this taped phone call uh, that he had approached four people to get the journalist's details, only two of whom he could fully trust. He said if it got widely known that he'd been beaten up, it would inevitably get back to the con to the contact I've used. If this guy is seriously hurt, I am going to be fucking furious. <laughs> so yeah, you know, conspiring to arrange <laughs> to get a journalist beat up. Yeah, this was 1990. This yeah. this conversation. This was very very early on. Um, and so naturally, as the 90s progressed, he got, by the end of the 90s, he was uh, invited on to Have I Got News For You. Mm. I don't think he guest hosted until 2002. 
Yeah, because it wasn't until Figgy was properly it gone. It wasn't until Angus Deaton was properly gone. I didn't realise that he didn't leave. Like, Angus Deaton didn't leave until 2002. That's mm. a firm 90s memory for me for some yeah. reason. But maybe it's like the long It's because it was a very 90s scandal that's, that made him leave. I mean, that's post 9 11. Yeah. You know, two tragedies happened. <laughs> Angus the, Deaton and Angus Deaton and. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Osama bin Laden have to go into hiding, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Uh, two tragedies. <laughs> um, so from 1999, Boris got appointed editor of The Spectator, uh, a position he would hold until 2005. Uh, there, he published a piece by long serving com- columnist Taki Theodokoropoulos, something like that. He's one of those I gambled and lost with that name. <laughs> yeah. He's one of those ones that I, I'm genuinely obsessed with. I just, well, I know why he's never going to lose his job, but. I, why why everyone who works at the spectator isn't like regularly slapped for being for consorting with him is beyond me like Nick Cohen is not allowed to complain about people that Jeremy Iranian Corbyn has been friends or with or anything like that yeah yeah he's not none of them are <laughs> well how dare you when the spectator in the early 2000s was hmm. publishing articles that said Orientals have bigger brains and higher IQ scores. Blacks are at the other pole. Black American basketball players have arms hanging below their knees and tongues sticking out. Ooh, tacky. But the... I find it so weird that I didn't hear about tacky until... I probably heard about tacky when Thingy, um, vice editor... uh, The the guy who founded Vice, Gavin McInnes. Mm -hmm. When Gavin McInnes... Started, started writing on, on his on his website, yeah. his weird, weird, racist libertarian website, yeah. Um, and I didn't know who Tacky was before that, yeah. But he's been embedded in the middle of the British media for yeah. decades, yeah. He's like the racist in the corner in the racist in the corner of what is bound to be one of the most racist parties you could ever imagine. Tacky is the one that people like Boris Johnson go, Tacky's a bit racist, yeah. You can't say anything anymore. Oh wait, you can just say it, all of it, all the time, <laughs> and be and paid for n- it, and be paid for it, and nothing will happen. Yeah. I, anyway, um, this period in the Spectator was also when uh, Johnson wrote his editorial on the Hillsborough tragedy, which accused Liverpudlians of wallowing in their victim status and alleging that drunken fans had mindlessly tried to fight their way into the grounds at Hillsborough. That's what led to him apologising to all of Liverpool. Just fucking love. Oh, I'm a conservative. How dare you wallow in victim status? That's like eighty percent of conservative <laughs> ideology is victim status. Yeah. For some bullshit or other. Yeah. Nonsense. Uh, writing in Spectator in two thousand, uh, Johnson attacked what he called Labour's appalling agenda, encouraging the teaching of homosexuality in schools and all the rest of it. Always good to remember that he's a bigot. Yeah. Because um, so many people think he's like the kind of the nice story, the like the socially progressive one. Yeah. It, he's really not. It, he's really not. I mean, to the extent that he has any of that, he he's basically willing to... It's one of those things where I don't think he has necessarily a personal grudge against um, LGBT people or um, like non-white people. I think he likes brutalising people. He likes brutalizing Maybe. others for a small gallery of, yeah. of like, is that weird? Wishes? Like I don't know, I don't know how much of a natural racist and misogynist he is on a day to day basis. It's just that he thinks that literally everyone in the world is beneath him. 
Well, he thinks, yeah, it's it's a classic conservative thing. He mm. he doesn't. It doesn't matter what the target is. It matters that there is someone there to do that to, mm-hmm. and there is someone there to applaud you for doing it. Yeah. Um, for instance, yeah, he wrote in his uh, he wrote in a book in two thousand in one of his books in two thousand one, "Friends, Voters, Countrymen." Make a wanker sign. No. Um, Johnson compared gay marriage to bestiality writing that if gay marriage was okay and I was uncertain on the issue, then I saw no reason in principle why a union should not be consecrated between three men as well as two men or indeed three men and a dog. Fucking boring, man. Yeah. It's so boring. Mm. He's so intensely fucking boring for the most interesting man in politics, (laughs) TM. No, he's not. Rory Stewart was the most interesting (laughs) man in politics. Well, he was the new interesting man, but it turns out he wasn't interesting enough. No. Now, if Boris smoked some opium... (laughs) Um, at the same time as his spectator gig he was also being an MP Uh, he was MP for Henley from 2001 Mm -hmm. to 2008 he also had a GQ motoring column uh, in which he reviewed his favourite babe magnet cars. Oh my god. Uh, his... They're all going to be like MGs and Jaguars, aren't they? <laughs> One of his biographers, uh, Sonia Purnell, noted uh, in, in her, bor- her biography on Boris the reviews relied on words such as filly, chicks, and flapping kimonos and were garnished with plenty of gear stick gags. There is talk of blonde drivers waggling their rumps, his own superior horsepower taking them from behind, aided by tantalising thoughts of the imaginary ample bosoms of the female sat-nav voice. On driving a Ferrari F340... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it's just the police catching Boris because he pulled into a lay-by to beat off because he got turned on by the sat-nav voice. <laughs> he's he's like, sitting sit there like just pounding away, and then he accidentally hits it, and it kind of turns into the Dennis Hopper voice. <laughs> like the voice, the sat nav lady. It's like it's such an unsexualized thing, and he's just like he's just rutting on anything. Hold on, hold on. Are you telling me a man who went to an all boys school is <laughs> chronically <laughs> malformed when it comes to sex stuff? But yeah, but he's malformed in my eyes and I went to an all-boys school. Uh, On driving a Ferrari F340, he wrote, it was as though the whole county of Hampshire was lying back and opening her well-bred legs to be ravished by the Italian stallion. GQ editors apparently were frustrated by the number of parking fines Boris would rack up (laughs) when on on assignment. See, if I was... If you were going to, like, have, like, a... Personification of the counties. Yeah. yeah. Hampshire would not be one of the more attractive ones. Okay. Well, I'm not going to rate the which counties count, on which, which one which would county have the do best you counties. Fa- which county do you fancy then? I hate them all. Like, I spent so much time okay. on Kent. Okay, right. Fuck, well, Mary, no. fuck Mary Kill counties now. Okay. Um, Who, hmm. which, which county would you fuck? None of them. They're all gross. I hate Britain um, so much. I, mm. The thing with the um, parking tickets, though, the neighbours have, um, where he's staying at the moment with his girlfriend, mm. have been complaining because his car has got loads of parking tickets on and he's always just leaving his car there. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it's, just, it's very telling. Imagine, imagine living like that. Imagine yeah. being that person. It's the Trump thing. If I got a parking ticket, I would be gen- like my heart would go. It, the, imagine the, the, the Trump thing of never having been subject to any particular authority other than your own. And even mm. if you are subject to it, mm-hmm. you are confident enough and have uh, so little shame that you can just confront it 
as an equal. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. It's impo- it's impossible. I cannot I cannot get that. You can't shake that that shit off. No. And you can't teach that stuff. No. That entitlement of seeing like of owning land. Yeah. That the British upper classes have that confidence that comes from owning a piece of the world. Yeah. Is well, you saw those Extinction thing. Rebellion landlord things. <laughs> They're the only ones that really have any stake in it because they own a bit. That had to have been fake. I don't know. I I've think half, of, like most of those, must have. I've been got fake. There's a very no low way. opinion of Extinction I have Rebellion and landlords. And I mean, so the horrible child of the pair of them. The exist, the ex- the existence of that group in itself is fucking satire. Mm-hmm. But when we have some kind of Facebook or social media equivalent of a Talking Heads program in like twenty <laughs> years' time. That will definitely be on there. Mm. So when he was MP for Henley, uh, at the same time as he was editor for The Spectator, he uh, used two racial slurs to refer to African people. He said, What a relief it must be for Tony Blair to get out of England. It is said that the Queen has come to love the Commonwealth partially because it supplies her with regular cheering crowds of flag-waving piccaninnies. The tribal warriors will all break out in watermelon smiles to see the big white chief. That's a very famous one. Yeah. Casually tossed off racism. Doesn't yeah. matter. He can just move on. Normal people say that. My Normal. nan used to say that in the 1950s. I've never heard that word said in public. The only person like I've ever heard, person I've ever or heard of who's ever used the, who used the P word is I've heard stories that my nan used to use it in the 1950s. <laughs> um in 2005, while campaigning to become the Conservative MP for Henley in the general election, he told voters that voting Tory will cause your wife to have bigger breasts. Discussing party politics, in 2006, he said, For ten years, we in the Tory party have become used to Papua New Guinea-style orgies of cannibalism and chief-killing, and so it is with a happy amazement that we watch as the madness engulfs the Labour Party. Again, very old-fashioned. Who associates Papua New Guinea with that anymore? Yeah. Like... In it's, that old racist yeah, imperial trope. It's, yeah, he is, he's so He's old. steeped in it. He's yeah. so steeped in it, which is, is odd considering his background. He was a cosmopolitan. Yeah. He has lived everywhere. So, obviously, we know he became mayor of London in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2012, he wrote in The Spectator, Consider Uganda, Pearl of Africa, as an example of the British record. The British planted coffee and cotton and tobacco, and they were broadly right. If left to their own devices, the natives would rely on nothing but the instant carbohydrate gratification of the plantain. <laughs> fucking, it's just... He finds What's the article about? I don't know for the fucking budget. It's a budget. car review. The budget, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the best, he continued, the best fate for Africa would be if the old colonial powers or their citizens oh. scrambled once again in her direction on the understanding that this time they will not be asked to feel guilty. I fucking hate... One of my most hated... And yet inconsequential feelings about uh, like new imperialism and yeah. writing on empire is this idea that the worst thing in the world is making white men feel guilty. As if they, and also the implication that they ever have. Yeah. Like at what point, like talking about just the way Boris Johnson just throws these words around, do you think that he has ever felt bad yeah. about anything? Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Um, and... After Barack Obama intervened in Britain's EU debate, Johnson suggested that the then US president had an ancestral dislike of the British Empire because he was part Kenyan. You remember though that, yeah. that stuff? Yeah. He had like knee-jerk anti-imperialist mm. blood? Yeah. Genetics? To be fair, I do. I don't think he... Because Obama wasn't 
like as far as I know, I don't think he was around his father that much. I don't know. Um, early on in his life, and then and then later on in his life, I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that one, but I don't know. But to be fair, you can. But also, you can like, it doesn't fucking matter. You, no, does but you it? can understand why Boris would say something like that because genetically, he's got a very pro empire view. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, two weeks before joining the Vote Leave campaign in 2016, he said, The single market is of considerable value to many UK companies and consumers, and leaving would cause at least some of the business, some business uncertainty, while embroiling the government for several years in a fiddly process of negotiating new arrangements, so diverting energy from the real problems of this country, low skills, low social mobility, low investment, etc., that have nothing to do with Europe. This was two weeks Two weeks before he joined the Vote Leave campaign. So what are we to make of Boris? Um, I read through some of his uh, couple of biographies. Yeah. Um, the I think it was actually in one of those biographies was the first time that it was ever mentioned that he really, really wanted to be Prime Minister. It was a long-standing goal that he'd well, had. World King. But it was the... Fo- yeah, World King. That's what Prime Minister is. Prime, yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. Top. Yep. Minister. King. No, I don't. <laughs> Fuck no. Um, and I think it's kind of illuminating this this last anecdote from Rachel from um, Sonia Purnell's biography. Okay. Uh, in early 2010, Rachel Johnson um, nominated a writer and critic, Roger Lewis, for a poetry seat at Oxford University. The oh. whole family was still all very involved at Oxford University. You know all that shit. You never quite leave. Mm-hmm. Um, Boris was angry about this as it seemed that he had taken offence at a Daily Telegraph review of a Boris biography from four years earlier, before this guy was offered the seat, that mentioned his constant infidelity. Rachel Johnson explained in an email to the author, I think I have traced it back to you, to your Gimpson review. Your toast, I'm afraid. He is very Sicilian when it comes to these little matters of his moral fitness for office and those who debate it publicly. At the time of the article, the Telegraph's commissioning editor received an email um, from Boris, who was, I remind you, at the time a sitting MP and shadow higher education minister, simply saying, fuck off and die. The wife of one of his Bullingdon cohorts at Oxford said that her husband would not speak about Boris, even off the record, as he is frightened of what he might do back. A lot of people are. Usually I'd be all in favour of this kind of language, but you know, hey. But it's like... And it's entirely Boris does put about like you you, from, you see you hear reports of him behind the scenes, and it's not he's a stroppy child, hmm. and but he's also fucking ruth, like a ruthless adult. He would hire someone to hurt you. Is what is what I'm getting at. He would because there is it no an way. Option, yeah. Well, he'd never. I don't think he'd. I, I think he would raise his hand to a woman. Yeah. Easily. Um, but I couldn't see him actually. Well, actually, maybe he'd attack another Bollinger boy. Yeah, because he's quite a big guy, isn't he, Boris? Uh, yeah, he played rugby and everything. He is. Oh yeah, I saw him beat up that kid. I saw him knock over that child again. I kind of left those anecdotes out of. Yeah, because everyone because, knows them. Because like him looking like a fool, is part of these these two faces of Boris. Mm-hmm. It's very much like he wants himself to be seen. The the clowning around. Mm is meant to be a signalling, not that he's a fool, but that he's blunt, simple, and inelegant. Now, it's a yeah. very different thing. Yeah. Because, frankly, like the British ruling class doesn't have that many people who come across as that. It doesn't have like refined 
toffs in it, it mm-hmm. does have that. Yeah. But they're not the people who become prime minister. The people who become successful prime ministers are usually technocratic people from the professions. Mm-hmm. They're straight laced and they go a long way, as we mentioned, like Cameron and Blair, to making them seem more relatable to the imagined massive people that they see outside them. Yeah. But they are ultimately considered quite skilled, talented middle managers. That's yeah. like their flash yeah. and their middle class, right? Boris wants himself to be seen as Churchillian, mm-hmm. which is like this inelegant outsider who wasn't taken seriously um, within high politics for much of his career. That's mm-hmm. true of Churchill. And has a reputation for, you know, like rudeness, gaffes. Uh, Churchill had many gaffes. Uh, Gallipoli, <laughs> uh, the Tony Pandy strikes yeah. he sent in the army. So gaff prone. Yeah. He's really going to be embarrassed when he finds out what he did to the striking miners in Rwanda. Yeah. And he's been sold to the electorate with all this stuff going along as some form of kind of inevitability, as like a kind of tousle-haired tulpa of the true Britain. As Britain is trying to find itself, it looks back and it looks for... I mean, to use the the American parlance, like mavericks. Mm -hmm. It's looking for somebody to reinvigorate the, the country. But the reason why he's getting closer and closer to it in reality is because actually all that needs reinvigorating is the Tory party itself. Mm. Um, The modern Tory party has spent so long lying to people about its policies and its ideology that um, it's completely lost any sense of what it actually is. So, of course, it's gone just back down to simple power politics Mm. and personalities and like very short-term... Self-interest. I mean, you yeah. look at like its austerity policies. It's like repeatedly shown that it's going to harm the economy. Yeah. And there's like, oh no, we're trying to save the economy though, yeah. because it cannot think outside of anything anything else. Mm. Um, you know, talking about like cutting carbon emissions and they go for a third runway because mm. of course they do because mm. the interest in a third runway is entirely in a section of capital that's aligned with the with the Tory Party and yeah. it's only for short term gain. It doesn't mm. matter that the rest of it will burn. The Tory Party will please a couple of donors mm. for a bit. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, the Tory Party have completely. The reason why he's so popular within the Tory Party is that they've they've sold themselves on Boris as this new regenerative figure. They've priced in all of the defects that he has. Um, they've bought insurance. They've they've they're braced for reaping what he what he is. Yeah, you know. Um, presumably, the big idea is that. Brexit will manage to go back in-house within the Tory party and within the civil service. Mm. It will get done while Boris runs interference doing his thing. You know, pilot the Tory party, Boris, or we'll make Jeremy do it. Yeah. Um, I think it's telling that he's not... He wasn't really... You look at it on paper. He's not significantly different from m- most of the other Tory leadership contenders. No. There's, no, when we did our thing before, like, yeah, they did the same stuff. The, his policies are exactly the same. This isn't a Trump situation no. where he's proposing like just mad, <laughs> any mad thing that comes no. into his head, walls and and bringing back coal mining and all that stuff. Yeah, Boris doesn't even have to promise one one inch of that. No, um, because it's not the people he doesn't have to he doesn't have to beat the left. Right. This is a right wing versus right wing conflict within like the Tory party and conservatism as a whole. Mm. You saw the um the statistics of the polling of t- Tory members. Cuz mm. that thing like Tory Tory voters are one thing but Tory members are like a whole other 
kettle of racist fish. Yeah. Um, but how many of them like would never have a, a Muslim prime minister? Would never um, believe in no go zone. Or you know they believe all those myths. Yes. Um, and it's it, it, Boris's articles like about the letterboxes and the nin. Did he call them ninjas? Anyway, it was it was some yeah you know stuff like that. that. Yeah. Um, it's like a nice signalling to the racist old women of the Conservative Party. Yeah, it's like that's all he has to appeal to because you know most people like I don't understand their their belief that he's going to do well. No, but I, I I actually don't think that that's part of it. I think like as far as the Tory Party membership, as far as the Tory Party like higher ups is concerned, mm. all of their ideological projects have have crumbled away, mm-hmm. and that's largely because of success. Yeah. They've got quite a lot of what they want. The only thing they haven't got left are the uh, like what they regard as left wing sections of the media or the universities. That's mm. why they push so hard on that stuff and mm. and like try and do culture war stuff mm. because they're the last places they don't have. They've won, but success is no good for a conservative. Mm. And you can see that they've won so hard that they have forgotten how to tie themselves into the class projects uh, to the class struct like. They've forgotten how to appeal to the class sections that won them those powers in the first place in the 80s. They've, they're starting to divorce themselves from finance because finance regards them as too much of a risk. Mm. They're starting to lose like small businessmen because they aren't actively... Whatever you think of Brexit, mm. however you think it's going to do, they're not actively um, responding to the fears and anxieties of a particular part of their electorate. Yeah. You know? um, and the... Tory party kind of members are, are, are kind of no different. Boris is, Boris is attempting to kind of bandage up all of these, all of the loss of, like stem the loss of members to the right, to UKIP or to mm. Brexit party or whatever, and hope that liberal Tories feel like they have nowhere else to go. Mm. Like that's the big question of whether the liberal Tories will either split off and form their own party or go to the Lib Dems. And Boris, I imagine, is just betting on the fact that they will have no other party to go they won't become Lib Dems no and yeah like the the we talk about the Tory party members being made up of like old retirees who who own property and who value security above all else and while it's true that they do want security so you would think that they would want a settled like boring person like Jeremy Hunt what they actually want is active radical measures taken to ensure that security the vessel that most of them have chosen, seem to have chosen to uh, pilot through all the kind of uncertainty and chaos is the nation state. It's been sold to them as a permanent, a constant. That's why in the last episode when we were talking about um, World War II uh, and nostalgia and, and notions mm-hmm. of traditional Britishness, um, it's a point of recognition. The nation state and Britishness, it's that point of recognition that they can identify themselves in and, uh, crucially, identify themselves where their hierarchy is. That's why they will never vote for Corbyn. Corbyn mm. and the left generally brings in a loosening of those kind of traditional identifiers of where you are in a hierarchy. They have mm. to negotiate their position all over again and they're not willing to do that. More importantly, they are willing to ha- take radical measures and vote for more radical people on the right to ensure that that doesn't doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? Um, and Boris, for all his um, radicalism, his, like, racist edging, his sexism, it reinforces that, uh, that message to those people that here is a person who is willing to take out anger and take measures against the young, LGBT, non-white people, all of those people who threaten your particular identity and your particular security in knowing where you are in this in this in this hierarchy yeah 
Um, and he's been obviously aided and abetted by the media all the way through. He's the only access most people have to politics is through the media, and it's not just mediated through the media. It it is politics. The mm. two things are are indistinguishable. And through giving him this constant platform because he's entertaining, they've created this golem that is an individual. Like he's the one with a bit of spark. It's all it's all myth. That mm. They have created it themselves, and they continue to treat with him as if he's a like even like liberals and critics of him continue to treat with Boris like he's a foreign entity somehow, even if they're critical of him, that he's he doesn't belong, hmm. that he's an aberration. Um, and yet he's one of them. Like, you think about other PMs and, and how their story about themselves sold them to a particular part of the electorate. Now, Boris has lived in a number of different places. He's lived in Europe. He's lived in the country. He's lived in the city. He's lived a lot of different places. His story is of traveling around a lot of a middle-class cosmopolitan. Um, but he's not from any of those places. No. That's not part of his story. What his story is, as we've recounted today, he's a journalist. Yeah. He's spent his entire life in the media. Um, he's got all of the impulses of a hack. How to get eyes on your opinion column. How to bully anonymous targets. All of the sins that we that we associate with opinion columnists, and God knows we've fucking mm. gone on about it enough. He has, that's that's his modus operandi, that's his identity. Mm. He's not like a, th a big thinker. He's a, a shock jock. Uh, Michael Portillo allegedly once told him that he had to choose between comedy and politics. Um, and Boris wrote that humour is a utensil that you can use to sugar the pill and get important points across. Marx, in the 18th premiere of Louis Napoleon, on Louis Napoleon, says, He is an old crafty roué. He conceives the historical life of the nations and their performances of state as a comedy in the most vulgar sense, as a masquerade in which the grand costumes, words and postures merely serve to mask the pettiest knavery, at a moment when the bourgeoisie itself played the most complete comedy, but in the most serious manner in the world, without infringing any of the pedantic conditions of dramatic etiquette, it, it was itself half-deceived, half-convinced con half of the solemnity of its own performance of state. The adventurer, who took the comedy as plain comedy, was bound to win. Uh, okay, that's us for this week. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. And we will see you probably not next week, but yeah, soon. Week after. Yeah. yeah. Bye. Bye. About the fighting.